Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Bonus Patreon Podcast. That's A24. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. And Josh is back. He finally missed a Patreon episode, uh, last last one. Uh, but he's back for the A24 one. So welcome back, Josh. Thanks for coming back. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What an apt topic to cover. Yes, this week we're doing the our collective top 24 a24 films and i'll be honest with you you can just throw them all on the ground and pick them up one at a time and i'd probably be okay with the list (laughs) 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 this was so hard other than like midsummer is going to be my number one but this is almost not even fair the rest i could just it's all i love them all for different reasons and uh i'm excited to do this so go ahead sean yeah I, i put this one together I put this one together using a very, very simple weighted system of uh, taking each of uh, Bob and Josh's and my top 24 movies and assigning them a, a series of points based on where they were ranked. And uh, then I put them you know, all together, the most points to the least. And that's where we get our top 24 of about 33 different movies total. Uh, there were about 33 different movies that went on the list uh, between the three of us. So that's, you know, there, there was a variety there of the some 45, 50 movies that, uh, that a 24 has. We had, we, we each picked, we each picked uh, a couple of movies that were not on each other's list. And there's a couple on here that are only on one person's list, but they liked them so much that they ranked so highly that they had to go on the final list. And that's where we're starting with the movie called. (laughs) 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 That's where we're starting with a movie called the farewell, which is uh, only on my list. Uh, It stars Aquafina as a, a young woman who is headed back to her, uh, her to your grandmother in her home country who is perhaps dying and the family doesn't want her to know about it. Uh, they know that she's sick and dying, but she doesn't. Uh, this is kind of a unique tradition uh, where she lives. And uh, this is a story about family and love and, you know, awkward sort of kind of dark humor and an incredibly smart and funny movie. And Aquafina is incredible in it, showing a, a great deal of range from, both you know her humorous side and and her dramatic side and she really carries this movie extraordinarily well and it was such a a wonderful surprise back in uh 2018 2019 i can't remember which was was 19 i i love this movie too it was like lower on my list because i love all these movies and i relate to this one the least but that means i mean it's not fantastic (laughs) uh it really is quite good everybody should Really, just every movie we say, we'll go and watch it because it's way more watchable than you think it is. Uh, it mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like homework if you describe it a little bit, but it really is very, very good. Uh, I recommend it a lot. Have you seen it, Josh? Josh, have you seen uh, The Farewell? <laughs> I haven't, but I have added it to this list of crap I haven't seen that I probably should have seen before the show and will still want to see afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, we only made you see one. one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It'll be a little bit before we talk about that one, too. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple more on here, though, I think that you'll like a lot. That's one of them, but uh, I'm sure we'll get to them later on. Uh, but go ahead. Anything else on the farewell before we move no. on? No, I think uh, we'll move on to number 23 now. And this is, uh, I, Josh, you're going to have to handle all this one because I don't think either Bob and I have, or I have seen Mississippi Grind. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this is where I get excited, yo, because this is a combo of Ryan Reynolds and the most unsung actor of all time, Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> uh, this shows 
um, unofficial mascot, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Until they're you're both quit. degenerate. Yeah, <laughs> they're both degenerate gamblers. Um, but Ryan Reynolds less so. He he's uh, they're both grifters in a way. And uh, Ben Mendelsohn has a lot of personal debts that he has to take care of. So in this film, it's it's those two going throughout uh, a region of the country and fleecing people of their money because they're so darn good. And, and of course, just like any movie involving card games or whatever, there's going to be some, you know, ultimate hand in which they lose everything and get destitute. I think that's kind of typical of, of a film like that. I mean, rounders has it just off the top of my head. Uh, but at the same time, I enjoy the, the chemistry between those two. It's unlikely that you would see Ryan Reynolds and Mendelssohn in a film together. And they just, play off of each other well admittedly i haven't seen this since probably late 2015 uh, so my memory of it is slightly hazy i just remember liking it so much because it was authentic and uh and that's strange to see um the directors of that one are the same directors as the movie sugar which filmed locally and also captain marvel um anna Bowden and ryan fleck i believe are their names uh, so mississippi grind is just another uh feather in their hat Here's a random weird directors after your heart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the Quad City. Well, I don't love the Quad City. Quad Cities. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Captain Marvel. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Next up is just Star Wars for them, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a funny thing about they that, only though. make movies for Josh. Sean, yeah, go ahead, you gave me a screener of this, and I still haven't. I've never watched. It. <laughs> or you never. You let me borrow a screener of this. <laughs> So I think you've seen it a long time ago. I, I seem it's to remember possible. you guys not I getting. Remember. I don't remember you guys agreeing on it. I don't think you disliked it. We're just kind of neither here nor there. Uh, but I do remember Josh liking it quite a bit, and I have to go make sure I got to go see that. Maybe I'll watch it tonight instead of the Elimination Chamber. <laughs> <laughs> I think this came out in a year though where we had so many A twenty four movies that there was no chance. For this movie to to get around the other ones that were already out there and in the way, and that might have been uh, why it, it it ranked so low for me, or uh, that then I don't even remember it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's next? All right, number twenty, number twenty two. It comes at night, which uh, is a movie that I was relatively okay with, but you guys really loved a lot more than me. I just love the director. I, I there was three directors I wanted everything they did on this list. And uh, this is, you know, it's from the director of Cresha and Waves. Is that correct? Same guy? Yes. Uh, and this was the lesser of the three, although I think I have Cresha a little lower, but it's it's definitely more artistic. But I just, I love how it's not your typical horror movie. And it's kind of, you know, similar to probably another movie we're going to get to later on, which it's the kind of horror movie that pisses off horror movie fans. And I, I kind of dig that about this movie. It's it's just more about, I don't know, just shitty situations and putting up with it. You know, it's basically a zombie movie without zombies. And I just thought it was somewhat unique and pretty well done. And uh, it just kind of stood above the rest of the horror movies other than A24 horror movies that were coming out. <laughs> Josh, what are your memories of It Comes at Night? 
Mm-hmm. Well, the the most Im- important part about that movie is that it was the first movie I saw with my wife, and it was all the way in uh, Sterling, Illinois, at the theater that I'd never been to, um, and we were literally the only ones in the theater watching it. <laughs> um, but I discovered a couple <laughs> of things. Uh, I think that Trey Edward Schultz is a, an incredibly talented director, and the fact that I haven't seen Waves yet is a real, it was a real bummer. It's written down on the list of oh crap, I should have done that. Um, <laughs> but the film itself, I remember saying, "Oh, this is this is really well done," but also give me some answers <laughs> because yeah. at the end of the movie, I was left hanging, and that was, I think, the only thing that I really brought to the show when we talked about it. So. Uh, interesting concept uh well performed i i like joel edgerton more and more each time i see him um but at the same time arg <laughs> but that's part of what i like about it is the the being left hanging you know it's kind of one of those fuck you to the audience you you figure it out kind of thing or and i don't know we're left hanging all the time in life so why not <laughs> yeah i i knew I that you would you like it <laughs> <laughs> I think I reacted against some of the hype around it. There was a lot of hype about it. Uh, it was another one of those movies that that that's, uh, that people kind of adopted as, oh, this is changing the horror genre. And uh, anytime that happens, I, I I get turned off immediately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I remember you thinking it kind of middle of the road. I don't remember you disliking it, but yeah. No, no, I, I, I thought I thought a lot of it was very good, very well staged. And Trey Edward Schultz is a great director who's got two more entries on this list. So, yeah, <laughs> just keeps getting better. This guy, uh, the Lighthouse, is number twenty-one, uh, which inspired a T-shirt and uh, is an absolutely incredible movie with uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, uh, shot in black and white. Uh, just uh, absolutely incredible direction. So remarkably bold in how in how weird it was and owning how weird it was and and challenging in its in the way that it portrays two two men who are introduced to each other are going to be on top of living on top of each other for some time and also based on a, a real life mystery and that is really uh there's a lot to bring into a, a really arty movie is to have this very uh, pulpy background. This movie is actually based upon uh, a real legend of the uh, early late 1900s uh, or early 1900s, uh, late 1800s uh, lore about two lighthouse keepers who disappeared and nobody knows what happened to them. And uh, th- this movie is fascinating for how it, uh, it it renders this story. And and in a way, it, it feels authentic, and at the same time, it's bizarre. And I just adore that. I've actually liked this movie a lot more ever since I saw it. Like at first, I was kind of I was kind of confused by it and and put off a little bit. And then the more I spent time with it, the more I think about it, the better it gets. And that's so true about so many of these movies, <laughs> unless we stop thinking about it. <laughs> uh, but this one it should be homework when you sit and look at the trailer and the just the idea of the movie. You know, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe. This is some art house movie. It's going to be too much effort and it does not matter the level of effort or you put into this or not you could totally miss the point of the whole movie and enjoy it i remember seeing what there were some kids behind me who started asking questions that were not even relevant to what they were trying to <laughs> get at but even then yeah. they they were but they were asking it in a enjoyable way it, it really is it's so much fun and 
Uh, and and I've said it from the get go, but you could make this about Batman versus Jesus, and it plays out that way <laughs> if you really wanted it to. Uh, kind of. I mean, I guess Batman sitting in a lighthouse doesn't make a whole lot of sense how we got there. But other than that, <laughs> let that go. Uh, no, Jesus is the only one to be ever every once. <laughs> right. I find it interesting that Josh, we go ahead. to Batman versus Jesus, obviously because of Will and Defoe's roles. But uh, if we're doing superhero comparisons, then Batman versus Green Goblin or Batman versus Volko <laughs> from Aquaman would be the first two things I would choose. But you know, that's just me. Have you seen Lighthouse? No, no, I haven't. But of course, I feel like I've seen it since you guys explained. <laughs> if you ever get a chance to see it, sit there, like pretend Willem Dafoe is playing Jesus and Robert Pattinson is playing Batman. It, it, it <laughs> works see. when you watch it. It uh, works. It does. I mean, it works in every in every possible way. This movie works, no matter how you can change what the point is, and it's still it's really fascinating. How was it? Robert Eggers is that the director? Yeah, it's just fascinating the Absolutely way he did it. Yeah, yeah. love yeah. this movie. It, it, this is all in black and uh, white, right? Yep. Yes. So the only question that I would have about it, having not seen it, is: Does that you think add something to it, or would it have mattered either way? Obviously, when they do this kind of experimentation, it can work or not. It, it adds something. To I it. think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it helps. I think it helps with the the atmosphere and the eeriness and 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 setting it sort of in the past, uh, tying it to to film history in a weird way. And uh, every every little detail. That's the thing about the, the lighthouse is you can examine every detail of this and and find something new and fascinating about it. Yeah, and I have a feeling if you had seen it, it'd be even higher on the list. If I'm being honest. <laughs> Indeed. Now, uh, coming in at number twenty is a movie that was uh, incredibly important to this show. We had a we had a wonderful time talking about it, and then we got a really great interview out of it as well. Uh, Cresha is number twenty on the list, uh, starring Cresha Fairchild, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, his first film, uh, and this wonderfully strange movie that is a a horror film, basically set, uh, but horror film feel set inside the anxiety of returning home to be among your family. <laughs> and I just, I just adore that approach, the way that they bring this around and, and just this sort of this, the way that he uses his camera and puts it in the perspective of Keisha, of Kresha and the, the, the foreboding atmosphere that is built around this really, it's just, we don't know what her secret is. Everybody else does. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's amazing to watch. And because he takes that horror movie approach, he adds this layer of tension that uh, is even more so than it's probably even there. So as the audience, you're always on the edge of your seat. You're always kind of you're frustrated. You're scared. You don't know like what's going to happen next. And it just keeps bubbling up and up and up. And that's what's <laughs> so fascinating about the movie. And I, I feel like he takes us to the uh, It Comes at Night and uh, makes that why that movie works so well. Uh, this is definitely the better movie. I had it ranked lower just because I'm not going to watch it as much because it is definitely more of an independent, uh, low-budget movie. But the acting is fantastic, but the direction is really what carries this movie. I feel, there's a lot of family members in this, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right. Cresce mm-hmm. is a family member of Treadward Schultz. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like you said, one of the fun 
episodes where we got to interview her for like an hour. It was a long time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> she was so great. Josh? Yeah, th- uh, the one thing that I took away from this more than anything was how dense the mood was uh, in this. And he's he's in the two movies I've seen of the directors, he is really fantastic at establishing uh, like a doom presence. <laughs> it got so intense. In fact, when I was watching this, I wasn't a hundred percent sure that it was going to um, branch off into some kind of supernatural direction. That's how misdirected I mm-hmm. felt watching this. Um, and because it could have been a horror film, it could have been a family drama. It could have been uh, uh, completely abstract and I would have had to try to figure it out. But as it turns out, he was just setting something up that was very relevant to what the character was going through so uh that's a very impressive piece of direction i'm not often fooled like that only when uh i see japanese films with subtitles about a guy being in prison <laughs> speaking of uh uh korean horror or like uh, what is the one we just watched uh the oh wow uh, something about the devil uh staring at the yeah. devil or gosh I I just oh, looked yeah. at it too the other day and I can't, uh, beat the devil. Something yeah. to break out. It, well, no. uh, I want to say it's like looking at the devil or staring at the devil or uh, right. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, don't remember. I don't remember the na- name, but yeah. it's really good. Another. It's right on the. It's on our Facebook page, and Josh, you should watch it absolutely. Okay. Add it to your <laughs> add it to your list. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't give you the, right we couldn't give you the name, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> I saw the devil. the devil. I saw the devil. I saw the devil. That's right. Aha! Fantastic movie. All right, what else you got? All right, Sean? Uh, number nineteen is Uncut Gems. Um, this is uh, one that was probably highest on my list of all of us. I love this movie. Uh, I I love Sandler's performance in this movie. The direction is some of the best direction I think I've seen in anything in the last decade. Uh, The way that they continuously amp up the tension and the way that they use Sandler's very unique energy to create this story is so spot on. They just, he is so perfectly attuned to this character and the energy that these two directors want uh, for this, for this, for this performance you just it's it's amazing to see the chemistry between him and the camera and him and the story being told and the way he's driving it and and he's allowing them to drive him at times but it's all building tension throughout just more and more tension that builds and builds and builds until it reaches this amazing crescendo at the end that is one of the best endings of a movie I've seen and not just because Adam Sandler gets shot in the head I'm <laughs> I didn't just enjoy it for that reason I uh, <laughs> I'm saying that I just love this movie because it's just brilliant. It's just so the tension and the suspense, and the excitement, the way it builds. It's just brilliant. I love this movie so much. Here's why it wasn't as high on my list. I mean, it's on my list. Uh, this was out for like three months. People, critics had reviewed it and talked it up. They were, you know, prepping Adam Sandler for the Oscars. And I wanted to see this movie so bad. And I knew so much about it that I felt I, like nothing was surprising. Like I felt like I knew I was just ready for it. And it takes away, I think, what because Sean got to see it way earlier than I did, and it's all everything he's saying is absolutely true. But if I could have seen that fresh, uh, without any of the buzz, that would have definitely made it way better of an experience. But it is fantastic. 
I love it so much. Uh, these two directors also did Good Time, which is a movie I don't particularly care for. Uh, I I thought that was an okay movie. This movie, they're just they feel like they feel like big time directors oh, yeah. in this movie. They feel like uh, really real visionaries uh, in this film. And uh, Josh, add it to your list. <laughs> it's on there, but I guess I don't need to see it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still there's still so much to it. You don't even know. I mean, you kind um, of. I mean, you you can pretty much tell it's going to happen from the get go. You're just kind of yeah. waiting for it to happen. And was it Kevin Garnett that did it? Because that would be interesting. <laughs> Maybe he's great in it. By the way, Kevin Garnett genuinely great in that yes. movie. Like legitimate acting, great. Like would have been okay if <laughs> no, we won a supporting no Oscar. Yeah, it, it was honestly really he's that good. Well, as he said, anything is possible. So that sounds amazing. That's just a All sports right. quote that he said. Don't worry about me. <laughs> All right, number 18 is The Florida Project. Uh, this is uh, director Sean Baker with, again, Willem Dafoe. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> and, uh, this movie is, is again, just a slice-of-life movie with uh, about little kids in Florida in a you know, run-down apartment-slash-hotel. Uh, and it's a, it's a movie that just is about people and about just kind of revealing these people in various little little scenes from their life and uh, little Brooklyn Prince uh, right there at the center of it, just being completely amazing. And I, I think this movie works for me mostly because of the ending, just because that ending is so perfect. Uh, Cause at the, for a time I was kind of like, I'm not sure what this movie is. I'm not sure what they're trying to say. And then they get to that ending and I'm like, this is amazing. And this, the way it built, it builds perfectly to that brilliant ending. That's just this, amazing piece of camera work and also just this there's this tension of the little girl and what she's going through and where she's going to to deal with that emotion is really i i really love the ending more than i actually love the entire movie yeah i think slice of life movies uh, automatically alien not alienate but separated the audiences you either enjoy watching it or you're just kind of annoyed watching them uh i for, but what i was for this one i was you know, I had the same questions you did, Sean, but it was also fascinating at the same time. I was enjoying myself watching it. I didn't know where it was going or what it meant, but it was still enjoyable. And then you get to that ending, and it just, and maybe it's retroactive. I don't really remember how, you know, if I went back and realized I was enjoying it or not. But that ending is so great, and I think the fact that it caught me off guard in a movie like this normally wouldn't be on my list, or I might, I might even skip it generally. Uh, if it wasn't for A24, uh, is what, you know, knocked it up my list. Cause I had it a little higher than this. Not, I mean, this is kind of in the same ballpark of where I had it on my list, but I, I really think the Florida projects, uh, movie people should check out. I'm going to say that every time. Cause they're all movies you should check out. Uh, Josh, yeah, Josh I think you had the highest of, of it, ha- had this on the highest of anybody's list. He's going in and out of mute. So I don't know if he's oh, is he? right now he's currently on mute. So we'll, yeah, I'm sorry about that guys. Um, but about the Florida Project, I think um, not only was I so impressed with Willem Dafoe's performance on there that he, he could have uh, won an award for it, and I wouldn't have you know uh, doubted that at all. But it's the kids in this movie. Uh, I think it's probably uh, one of the most unheralded skills in the movies is trying to find children, young actors that can... Um, portray some of the complexity of everyday life as a kid and, and look wiser than their years. Uh, that doesn't always work. 
in in this particular case, the kids pretty much take over the story. And uh, I identified with uh, the kind of freedom that they had in our childhood as well. Like we had quite a bit more freedom, um, but also the kids having to be put through certain things because of the decisions that adults make. It just it's heartbreaking and um, oh, it, it rubbed me to the core and just wanting to be sympathetic for these kids that were so wonderfully portrayed yeah, yeah and it, it's and I, the movie's coming back to me now and it's just like i'm starting to <laughs> remember you know you always hear about you know adults look back to childhood and go we were poor but you don't realize it you know you're just enjoying life or you're you know you're having good times bad times you don't know the difference and that's i mean you know when there's something bad going on but it, it, it's just kind of heartbreaking to see that the decisions the adults are making horrible, horrible decisions. And the kids not even really know what's going on and still enjoying what they're doing and living life. Uh, it was captured so well. Uh, again, it's one of those movies you start thinking about, you like it even more. Uh, so it's like true. I said, you can throw them on the ground and yeah. pick them up randomly. And I'm going to be okay with this list. <laughs> and Josh, make making a great point too, about uh, Willem Dafoe's performance. And cause you, you have, I think we all have a, a Willem Dafoe is like, if it, if Nicholas Cage didn't exist, Willem Dafoe would move up to be Nicholas Cage. So he has this kind of <laughs> weird energy that you kind of, the, the, you kind of envision who he, who he is. He's kooky. He's weird. And then he does a performance like this. That is just so basically human and compassionate. And it's just that that's, I, it's amazing. His, his, his range is incredible. And then it does. The chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> all right number uh 18 uh, number 17 on the list is eighth grade from uh director bo burnham and this is a story of a of a of a little girl growing up uh and the the various little things that she's going through and uh, bo burnham directs this with a great deal of intelligence compassion and care and trying to be true to this little girl and it's really uh, a lovely piece of work uh, it can be over, easily overlooked just how subtle and and brilliant this this movie uh, truly is and and especially for for Bo Burnham who's not known as a director certainly not known as an auteur uh, to, to to exert so much control over telling this story and so so much insight into this little girl character it's really uh, remarkable that way and the lovely little moments between uh, between her and her father um, Josh Hamilton. Uh, as her father, just really, just a lovely, lovely little moments uh, are just really, really beautiful and moving. And those are the things that I take away from this movie. And it's my fault it's so low on the list because I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, my family watched it while we were recording a podcast one time, so it's hard for me. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to go back. Uh, but Josh, I know you like this one quite a bit too. I did, and. Uh Precisely, Sean, what you mentioned about uh, supporting actor Josh Hamilton, uh, he and the lead young actress have a scene towards the end of the film, lasts between, oh, five to ten minutes or so, and it's probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a movie, um, this connection between a, a father and a daughter. Uh, you know, I think there's a balance there where it could get away from both of them, their relationship. Um, but they're both so eager to love each other that there's a nervousness around disappointing one another. And uh, I, you know, whether you're a parent or not, we all have had parents if we aren't already a parent. So we can all recognize that moment of wanting to connect with our parents. And um, this girl has gone through some things in this movie uh, socially and, and growing up. It's been very difficult for her. Uh, and once again, we have a, a young child actor who is just, 
she's done an amazing job in portraying the kind of vulnerability slash strength slash kindness that I think we would hope all of our kids would show. Um, I plan on showing this to my son before he gets out of eighth grade, not because it's of the name of it, but, but because <laughs> of how much I see in him that was seen in the movie. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, uh, the way in which uh, Josh Hamilton kind of, he feels so authentically like a dad our age <laughs> yes. and trying to project the strength of a previous generation while having the cluelessness that comes with being in our generation. <laughs> Did you just say the baby boomers are better than Gen X? <laughs> no, no, no. Fuck you, man. <laughs> no, they, they're, they're just better at pretending. They're just better at pretending how strong they are. Thank you. Oh my God, that's good. <laughs> Thank you for saying it that way. <laughs> oh man! All right, number sixteen, a most violent year. Uh, this is, uh, of course, with uh, just that amazing cast that you just can't forget with uh, Jessica Chastain, uh, Isaac, Oscar um, Isaac, Oscar Isaac. Thank you, and uh, David Oyelowo. Uh, the story of a of a gangster adjacent story it's it's really fun this movie is exciting it's so well acted and jessica chastain uh, i mean when you look back at this and just the way she steals scenes the way she's uh both extraordinarily attractive but at the same time she's she's playing a character performance here like uh, she's like i said she steals scenes she doesn't own anything she she's kind of treated like a side character but she is dominating everybody in the movie and she's just absolutely fucking brilliant yeah, and as a like, I'm an accountant, and the kind of things that piss me off more than anything, even more than murder, is th- people ruining people's lives, cheating, and you know, just building themselves up, you know, and it happens so much uh, all over the world, all over America, and most of the time we don't even know about it. Everybody gets away with it all the time. There's no accountability. And the heartbreak of Oscar Isaac trying to do the right thing and finding out all along he wasn't, didn't even know it. Uh, not to spoil the movie, but right. I, I think it's for a specific person, I, I, audience. This isn't. This is probably one of the least less successful movies. I mean, other than the fact that it's one of those phone book movies where the cast is so good you could just watch them talk. Uh, it does work on that level, but because of my relationship to what goes on in that movie that's the kind of thing that pisses me off more than anything else. And, uh, it just, it elevates this movie up way higher than it probably should be compared to some of the other movies on here. But I, I just absolutely adore this movie. You know, uh, I remember watching this when it came out and thinking that it, because of the trailer, such a strong trailer. Um, I was so excited to see this as something of a genre noir pick. It didn't turn out to be that way, but instead more of a character study for Oscar Isaac, who, um, since Inside Lewin Davis, since uh, this movie, has chosen a lot of mainstream projects, and normally that kind of stuff does not bother me. It only bothers you guys. <laughs> but I think about those two performances earlier on in the podcast, you know, that I was like, oh, this guy is going to be the thing that we're talking about. He might be our favorite other than Gyllenhaal or something going forward. But he has decided, I suppose, that he really needs to supplant his indie film uh, credo with superhero this, superhero that. And, <laughs> one of the lamest Star Wars characters of all time, too. So 
And it's not necessarily his fault that the movies are bad, but it is his fault that he's bad at them. So please go back to this. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason he couldn't have been like Han Solo. You know, he's that good that he could Mm -hmm. have carried a Harrison Ford level performance. At the same time, you know, we're going to get to another one too, which is probably his most fun performance ever. Uh, He's, I, I love him. I wish he would, I wish there was more movies like this we could talk about. But instead, I'll deal with uh, Denzel's kid. <laughs> He's my new favorite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Justifiably so. He's amazing. And I haven't seen Tenet okay. yet either. <laughs> so, Are you serious? <laughs> it, it's been so expensive up until recently. And then we've had so many movies yeah. on the podcast that I haven't had a chance to get back to it. But I'm going to. Okay. Well, just so you know, I will happily loan that to you <laughs> in case you do want it. Uh, yeah, you probably won't. But still, I'll watch it someday. <laughs> it's not Interstellar, Bob. Don't worry. <laughs> it's true. I know you. I Sean definitely lowered the bar for me. Uh, it's an action movie. Just look at it as an action movie, nothing more. And I was like, all right, cool. I I compared it to Josh to it. It's an art house, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent uh, an apt comparison. Um, you should have seen the look after my son, after we watched it on Thursday, the look on my son's face was like, what in the world is going on there? And I was reminded of the title of the podcast when you guys released that, uh, how to direct a movie up your own ass. <laughs> Anyways, it's not a 24. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. That needs to be assured. I forgot about that. All right. What's next, Sean? <laughs> Number 15 is On the Rocks, uh, the, the, the most recent uh, A24 movie on this list uh, with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones, directed by Sofia Coppola. Uh, an absolutely wonderfully ingenious piece of direction where she takes what is essentially a, a very mainstream plot from like an you know, like an eighties movie <laughs> that would star Michael Caine uh, or something weird like that and turns it into this art movie as if it's as if she can't direct a mainstream movie she like gets bored and has to make it a real movie <laughs> that's what i love about this movie it's just all charm and just like it's like this is how she would direct a mainstream comedy if you tried to force her to direct a mainstream comedy and it's just brilliant she can't miss with me she just makes such interesting choices and and uh, then the way she picks her cast with uh, of course she picks bill murray because she loves bill murray but then rashida jones is so amazing in this movie and the way she matches him she's not merely you know, that character could be someone who is you know just completely annoyed and put off the whole movie by him and she's just not <laughs> she loves him she's as charmed by him as anyone she can be tired of him and angry with him but she's got a real reason to be as opposed to the you know kind of forced reasons that other movies would make and just make her into a a bad character uh she's very true to herself and her feelings are true to what she's what we've seen her go through. And I really love that. And it's as if, like I said, Sophia Coppola (laughs) takes something that is given to her, like almost forced upon her to make a mainstream comedy. She's like, I can't do it. I'll just have to make my movie. Well, and that's what's great about it is you can see the auteur in her in this movie. Uh, And, you know, you've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Rashida Jones in a way, it's like this is her star-making performance, even though she's been around forever and kind of, I think, on her own, doesn't want to be, you know, Kristen Wiig in Wonder Woman or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, but she'd have been fucking awesome in that role instead of Kristen <laughs> Wiig. Uh, 
anyway, uh, I, she was awesome. And then Bill Murray is as good as he's ever been. And that one scene might be the best scene of the year where he's talking to the cops. I mean, it's definitely up there. Uh, I, we watched that scene a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. Josh, you saw this one. I did. Yeah. And, uh, it was one point I was thinking to myself, this is definitely the best Bill Murray performance I've ever seen. Um, he was just rapturous to me. And, and our, I watched it with my wife. Our eyes were just fixated on everything he said. At a certain point, the film kind of lost steam for me. Uh, and that was more towards the end. And it's not its fault. As you said, it's a very simple story that Sofia Coppola was trying to tell. And it's just the chemistry between Rashida Jones and Bill Murray that really drives it. Um, but at some point, uh, we just looked at each other and said, this guy is flawless. I mean, he can do no wrong in this movie. And it just has everything to do with his his timing, the looks on his face, the way that his, his forehead crinkles up because he's old now, you know. Actually, Bill Murray's kind of always looked the same in a way. But uh, I, I loved it because of its simplicity and uh, because of its, its idea to take a typical possibility of a guy really messing around on his wife um, and, and turning it into something completely different. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And plus we didn't even really see many movies last year as many people didn't. And so for that to be there in the thick of all of the nonsense was really nice. Indeed. All right. Uh, number 14 on the list is first performed director, Paul Schrader with uh, Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried, uh, the story of a priest who gets involved in the lives of a pair of people, and uh, he becomes uh, somewhat radicalized in and of himself uh, when it comes to uh, there's a deep environmental message here, but also a message about uh, faith and about uh, <laughs> about committing to something uh, very, very deeply on an almost uh, terroristic level, but as a white man <laughs> in a church. That scene with him... I mean, where he's about to decide to do something pretty, pretty awful is pretty incredible. And uh, there's a moment where he's just strapping something to himself and it's just Hawk and it's just the look on his face and the intensity that builds in that scene is so amazing. It's a, it's a memory that's stuck with me ever since that, ever since the movie. Yeah. This is one of those movies that as soon as it's over, it's like, I'm going to watch that again, you know, and <laughs> then you start digging into it and you just keep, again, it's just the more you think about it, the more and more you fall in love with it and you just start, uh, analyzing it. And I mean, our discussion on the podcast, I think Josh and I were like on two totally different, we both loved it for like two totally different reasons. Kind of disagreed on why we loved it, but I think we both kind of went down this rabbit hole of what we, what's so fascinating about this movie. And that's, you can't, I don't know that you can't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just movies like that are fantastic when you can just sit and talk about them and disagree and still like them for what they are. It really is an artistic piece of work. Yeah. I don't think that uh, there's a doubt that it's really good. <laughs> and, th and that was the, um, the onus of it. It was so tense there towards the end that yeah. at one point I, I considered just giving it a moment <laughs> um, <laughs> because of its intensity. And you kind of go down this rabbit hole, down the downward spiral with mm -hmm. Ethan Hawke's character. And there's so much uh, despair there for him to gain control over 
anything in the way that he does is kind of like the mind's response to the amount of internal conflict that he had. Uh, just the fact that Paul Schrader also is the writer and director of this means something. Uh, his career has spanned so many years and mm -hmm. has had some real ups and downs <laughs> um, that to come out with this uh, so powerfully in its nature, uh, it was impressive. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next on the list, number 13, Green Room. And uh, Green Room is a, uh, um, it's a punk movie. It's a violent horror movie. It's creepy and strange and just intense and gory and violent. And I absolutely love it. I cannot get enough of this movie. And it's so much more interesting for the fact that, uh, <laughs> that Patrick Stewart is the bad guy in this punk rock horror movie. <laughs> So great. What a great choice. Oh, man. It just, uh, I'm trying, I can't, the lead actor's name is escaping me now. He passed away uh, just a couple of years ago, but uh, just a terrible, terrible loss because he was such an incredible and unique and different actor. And uh, everything about Green Room, it's set in this bar in the middle of nowhere in this uh, white supremacist town. Uh, you've got this punk band that's coming in to play at this, this thing, and they just totally take a piss on the audience, and <laughs> they end up interrupting a crime and getting trapped and becoming having to fight their way out. And just the violence is phenomenal, the 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 clever twists and turns, and then that fucking ending yes. is just so good. <laughs> Imogen Poots is so great in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and right off the bat, they establish that nobody's safe. Uh, so yeah. You, know, oh, yeah. you really you never know who's going to make it out and who doesn't uh, because of what happens early on and it I it, I love it it's I was going to say it's almost not even like an A24 movie but it is I mean it definitely is uh, because I mean that ending really does help and Patrick Stewart being the bad guy uh, but yeah that there's a scene early on when they establish that no one's safe and that scene is so tense uh, that it makes it really does carry the rest of the movie and then the ending it's just so just a nice real just a great ending it's the perfect ending to this movie <laughs> the the th thing that i took from this is that the director jeremy Saulnier, i'm not sure if i'm saying his his name right but he looked to be on the same trajectory as trey edward schultz in a way um with this and blue ruin before it which i loved the year that we watched it um it looked like he was going to be another one of those next guys that understands how to set up uh, extraordinary moods and characters that have uh, extraordinary decisions in front of them. Um, it, the, the weight of the movie is super heavy. And every time that I hear something about something going on in the country involving someone in their stupid group trying to hate on somebody else, I remember that tension from this movie not necessarily because every group is like this movie but also like uh boy once you're in i'm sure it's really hard to get out and there's just so much danger surrounding that entire encampment uh it it makes me think that all groups are just they're like horror elements all around the country just waiting to spread terror and pestilence and it's it's frightening and then you have captain picard leading it all i mean <laughs> but i i take away from this more than anything um the director's talent and i did not see his follow-up movie um something about um into the dark with jeffrey Wright. um yeah, i haven't seen that one either dark. i wanted to 
I want to see that, but I didn't get a chance. I haven't either. My brother's been talking about this director since even before this and Blue Ruin, a murder party he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He that movie is really really good too. So, uh, yeah, I gotta check those out. I mean, I've seen Murder Party. Murder Party is awesome, but yeah. Uh, What's next? Next on the list is the Disaster Artist, uh, James Franco directing the movie about the making of The Room uh, with uh, Tommy Wiseau, uh, and of course co-starring his brother Dave. Uh, this is a, a movie about uh, Hollywood and weirdness and a weird guy, and <laughs> a very very weird guy in the end, uh, Tommy Wiseau, and just so insanely well captured. Uh, the the big laughs in this movie, the authenticity of of the of those laughs and the way they're created, and the chemistry between Dave Franco and James Franco is just it's wonderful. I love this movie. Well, in this whole time period, the movie, the book, everything surrounding it, all the press leading up to it, it really did help me watch movies. Uh it helps me understand why we still talk about the room versus, you know, other move other bad movies. Uh you know, even when there's a movie I don't like, I can now I when you can take the corporate out of a movie that really does mean something. And the more genuine the movie is, uh, even when it's bad, it can still be watchable or you can still appreciate it in a certain way. And this movie really helped me understand that uh, just being genuine when you make a movie. Because in the end, he's really making a movie about what he's going through. He doesn't know how to tell it. He's thinking he's writing something else. But because of that, it's really kind of unintentionally fascinating not to mention just so bad it's good but it, it's also unintentionally fascinating uh and this movie and the book really help explain that and uh this is the most unlikely of films for me to like for obvious reasons even uh i even like dave franco in this so apparently sharing uh, a womb at some point really helps these two out with chemistry <laughs> uh but I was thinking also about what you just said, but I'm taking the corporate out of it. Um, every person that has the ability to make a film or put out a piece of art, they have their own little slant on it, right? And we don't always like it, but we can see authenticity when we, when we recognize, we can recognize it when we see it. And in this particular case, uh, uh, telling a story about one of the worst movies I've ever seen I agree with you. It puts me in a new place going forward that even if it's crappy, I try and look at what the intention was. <laughs> so whether or not they did it well um, is really beyond my comprehension because I'm sure that Tommy Wiseau did do it well, according to himself <laughs> and he's satisfied. So really that's all that needs to be done. And this movie captures that kind of blind authenticity that he seemed to have had making the movie aside from all of the the things that could be construed or are um, unfortunate (laughs) regarding him in the movie, et cetera. um, That kind of seeing art through the clouds is is enjoyable. And and Franco squared, my God, they're good at it. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the key word there is blind, uh, blind authenticity. I don't know what his intentions are, uh, but Definitely, he was making something that I don't think he realized. I mean, he definitely was didn't intend to make a comedy, and I don't think he intended to make a movie about his life, but it just kind of worked out, and when you look at it through a different lens, it becomes a more fascinating movie than just simply a bad movie. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it is simply a bad movie, too, but 
I don't know. It just really did open up my eyes to watching movies and giving me a different appreciation for them. It is. A, it's fantastic. Uh, it, yeah, just really great. All right. Uh, we're into the top 10. Uh, number 10 is The Witch. Uh, we return to uh, Robert Eggers once again, uh, uh, directing a horror movie about uh, a uh, something that's happening in the woods in the early, I don't know, is the 16th century? It's a, it's a very it's a pre-America almost. Uh, <laughs> uh, this family gets sent away from their, their cloistered uh, village and they go out on their own into this at the very edge of the forest where they encounter what, is in de- un- undefinitely, definitely to us, unquestionably, is a witch slash demon, whatever it is. And <laughs> they don't know it, but we know it because we get to see it very early on just eat a baby, which is just, it's just like a declaration from this movie that this is not going to be anything that you're expecting because babies in movies don't get hurt. And <laughs> this, this baby gets eaten. <laughs> And it just sets the tone for the rest of the movie, which is just amazing. And building towards this, uh, just this awesome tension throughout. It's so exciting and and so such a great way to to make a horror movie into and to really just declare that this is a different kind of horror movie, one that's really intended to scare you in a way that you haven't been scared before. And yet, it still pisses off horror movie fans because they just want something simple. <laughs> and I shouldn't say that across the board. I mean, you have people like me, cousin Jeff, that are into more movies like this. But uh, the, the ones who just go and see every corporate horror movie that comes through, this is not for you. Uh, and at the same time, it's you think it's going to be all metaphor, but there's a fucking witch in this thing, and that's what. <laughs> and they still accomplish everything with that i I don't know robert eggers is amazing and this movie is always going to be one of the greatest horror movies of this generation what i took from that is especially the shocking moment earlier on that you're speaking of and also how the camera likes to occasionally focus and draw our attention away from um what's going on around it but that goat man uh yeah <laughs> just such focusing a the camera on the goat for even like three four seconds at a time which it does is so unnerving um and i thought that i was going to uh that the end of the film was going to be some sort of uh telling that this was all in someone's head or that there was something going on behind the scenes, just a flat out murder or something. And then all of a sudden at the end there, it justifies almost everything that came before it. Uh, it you, one might call it easy uh, to say that actually there was a witch, but no, I had no idea that there was still actually going to be a witch. So great success film. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, the- the, the reason that scene with the baby works so well is because we're trained by so many other movies to know babies and movies are fine. And and yeah. so you, you're, you're going into that scene, not really feeling it. You're just kind of like, okay, well, what's, how are they going to, how are they going to back out of this? It's a bad dream. Somebody's going to wake up. No problem. Nope. Baby gets eaten. <laughs> Welcome to the witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, the ending, you know, we'll get to another ending that's similar in a way that actually turned Josh off, but it, it does the same type of thing where you get, I guess you could call it easy, but it also, it's, it's set up and it works. It, it, you know, they, they do a good job of uh, getting you there and accepting it when they get there. Because uh, it's, while it's easy, it's not like lazy, if that makes sense. They They definitely work to get you there and to accept it. 
All right. Uh, number nine is Lady Bird, the Academy Award winner with uh, uh, Saoirse Ronan, of course. And uh, now, of course, the director's name would slip right out of my head, please. Greta, 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 Greta. Thank you. Of course, I know that. It's just for some reason it went blank for a second. But uh, Lady Bird is absolutely brilliant. A wonderful piece of character work. Just so many great characters in this, from Timothy Chalamet to Lucas Hedges. And you've got Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf and the the realistic feel of this of this character and and the way she plays off of everyone around her Beanie Feldstein as well as in this and uh, just an authentic uh, teenage performance on on the count of everyone in there and uh, just Saoirse Ronan is such a movie star and she's so charismatic and so interesting and she's just she, she doesn't talk like everybody else and she doesn't act like everybody else but she doesn't feel like she's a creation of just this movie either uh, and that's just a credit to how great Saoirse Ronan is and then of course the, that authentic direction by Greta Gerwig where it just it feels very of a time and uh, and and with those really wonderful side characters who add so much to who Lady Bird is. It's, I love this movie. Yeah. And I, I mean, I said it when we talked about it originally, it was like my wife parenting herself and it was kind of fun to watch from that perspective. She didn't agree <laughs> with me at all. Of course. But I just, this, this is, I've seen a lot of these movies multiple times, but this is one I've definitely seen a bunch. Uh, it's fun to watch. The performances are amazing. Like you said, I mean, I don't really have much more to add. It's just, it's, it's really, really good. It's really, really watchable, and it definitely speaks to our generation. And the new hero of the podcast, Lucas Hedges, yeah. <laughs> the guy who won't fuck up. <laughs> Josh, you really need to catch up on your Lucas Hedges. <laughs> yeah, I know that there's quite a backlog of things I haven't seen, but like uh, mid '90s, for example, he's in that as an older brother. Um, it, nothing that he has done so far has turned me off, that's for sure. And and I don't have anything to add to Lady Lady Bird that is important. I saw it, I enjoyed it, but not nearly on the level as you guys did. So I won't go into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, here's one that was lower on Bob's list, but very high on both uh, mine and Josh's list, and is number eight. Moonlight, uh, the Academy Award winner. Uh, there's not enough Academy Awards on this list, by the way. There should be a lot more, but uh, it's le- at least we have Lady Bird and Moonlight, deservingly so. Uh, these are uh, Moonlight is a, a story of one man in three different parts of his life um, that are very, uh, very cinematic, and yet, and yet uh, not. And, and Barry Jenkins directs this with uh, such a unique eye and such a great. Uh, a great sense of how to direct a movie. And uh, there's some, there, the one moment of course that I'm thinking of, and it's just one of the best pieces of direction that again, I've seen in a long time is him just following his, this teenage, the teenage version of his protagonist from, you see him from behind, he's walking to school. He's, he's, he's very angry. And it's just, you follow him through the doors and he's angry as building and building and building until he walks through the doors and into the cafeteria and he picks up a chair and he just hits the guy right in the back. And it's just, wow, wow. What a scene, what a piece of direction. And that happens throughout. Then you get to the end of the, the story and you're talking about Trevante Rhodes and this lengthy conversation between two men who are trying to say to each other what they've always meant to say, but they can't bring themselves quite to say it because society doesn't really allow black men to be vulnerable in that way. And it's so beautiful the way Barry Jenkins captures that. Yeah, and it's not low on my list for any particular reason other than I just love all these movies so much. 
uh, and I'm just trying to be honest with myself, and this is one I wouldn't go back to as much as some of the other ones, but it's still fantastic. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like, you know, Eddie Van Halen is so technical and great, but there's ACDC over here too, and I like that. Maybe a little better. I, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's I love it. it. It's really good. I just don't relate to it as much as I do some of the other movies, or I'm not as interested in it as I am some of the other movies, but it really is great, and I don't know. Sorry for having it so low. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this movie and its ability to show what connection really means uh, to people, especially if you feel um, like you can't be your authentic self in front of others and watching the the main character over time be able to um, form different connections that help him feel like a person, including the one uh, played by Mahershala Ali in his Mm. Oscar uh, winning performance yeah. um, it's incredible and and i got tingles actually just just talking about it right there i'm um, remembering the various scenes throughout the film where this character who has a lot going on is able to finally be his authentic self and that's just so damn refreshing um, barry jenkins followed this up with if beale street can talk which oh, yeah. blew my goddamn mind amazing, amazing. yeah he coaxes excellent performances out of his actors does Barry Jenkins. And so uh, whatever he does going forward, I think we should always expect to see some actor in his film be lauded in an awards season. No doubt about it. Uh, number seven is a movie that meant a lot to this podcast and is uh, uh, high on all three of our lists. So one of the first ones that's high on all three of our lists, uh, Ex Machina, starring uh, Oscar Isaac and uh, Domhnall Gleeson. Um, and just a brilliant piece of sci-fi storytelling uh, about a man who's created a robot. And is <laughs> uh, this sort of a Steve Jobsian character, but he's uh, much more mysterious. He lives in the woods and he's uh, very eccentric. Uh, he invites Donald Gleason to come stay with him and discuss ideas. And when he gets there, he finds that he has this female robot and where it goes from there is uh, just one eccentric, brilliant scene after another, including uh Again, the best scene in the movie is not anything to do with the plot. It's just this bizarre moment where Oscar Isaac dances. And it is it is such a star moment. It's just this it's funny, it's weird, it's awkward, but it's fucking brilliant. And I just I can't get that scene out of my head. I, I can guarantee I'm the reason it's so low. <laughs> I had like a 16 instead of in my top 10. I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun. I, my main concern with this movie is that it should be more homework. Like it's it's not it's such a complicated subject matter that they simplify so much that I, I feel like I'm missing something. And I don't know. And that's and I'm not just sitting back and enjoying the movie like I should. I, I it's. And a lot, I mean, I love Oscar Isaac and I love the whole cast. I like the movie a lot. I just, I'm conflicted with it because I'm like, this should be harder and this is too easy. <laughs> uh, but because of that, it's super watchable and it's a joy to, it's so much, it's fun. So I, I don't know, but I do know it's a great movie. Uh, of all of the films about, um, uh, supposed gods and their creations, um, <laughs> this one, <laughs> is the closest i think to us now we we understand all the breadth of christianity and the breadth of of egyptian gods and greek gods and things like that but this movie to me really updates the idea of 
um, what a future deity or religion might look like. And I know that sounds kind of abstract, but the relationship between Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander's robot here um, is both loving and strained and abusive all at the same time. It's kind of like our, all of our relationship with the Christian God, you know, um, loving, abusive, killing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I see this as the cautionary tale for a, the future involving AI. To me, it's, it's the ultimate AI story because we just don't know enough. We our our experiences through Domino Gleason's character. And I think that there are going to be a lot of Domino Gleasons going forward. I'm not saying that the world's going to be taken over by robots, but I do think that uh, it's important to note just how far AI could come in the next 50 years. And yes, the dancing scene is quite amazing too. And the ending <laughs> the ending wow. is uh, yeah. pretty pretty powerful and intense. <laughs> Alex Garland is amazing. Obviously, then he goes on from this to make Annihilation, and uh, so, so such a great movie. Uh, just absolutely awesome film. That should be yeah, an eight twenty four movie, and it's not. <laughs> uh, one more thing about Garland is is he also wrote the film Sunshine, Danny Boyle's film, way back from two thousand seven, and that's not well known or anything like that. But I enjoyed it, and so Garland is is one of these. Um, voices of science fiction that i've kind of been waiting for for a really long time uh science fiction is at least now is starting to make a bit of a comeback uh, mainstream as well um, but it's been a while since we've had an excellent voice in the genre and i just can't wait to see what he does next amen i hear he's working he's working with one of my favorite actresses next uh, jesse buckley so i'm excited to see what that's going to be she's so huh. good uh, if you have not, just catch up on Jesse Buckley. She's like the female Lucas Hedges. She doesn't pick a wrong movie. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> uh, next on the list is a movie that is so good, it's only on two of our lists, <laughs> and yet it comes in at number six. That's how great Waves is as a movie. Uh, Bob and I both put it so high on our list and still made it uh, to number six. Uh, Waves is two stories, and they're two stories that are divided basically by half the movie and uh they're both very unique and incredibly well-told stories that have themes that that feed into one another and are just it's just so fucking brilliant uh again this has got another one of those amazing scenes where a character does something that is that is uh the director is just witnessing it he's just following with, with the camera following where he's going and you're going please stop don't do this don't do this. You're screaming at the screen in your head, just trying to stop this from happening. And you know, you can't stop it. And the powerlessness of that is incredible. And then you've got another amazing scene, yeah. Sterling K Brown talking to his daughter about what's happened and how it's devastated their family and devastated both of them. And again, I'm crying just thinking about how great that scene is. And it's frustrating because this movie didn't get the attention that, I mean, kind of similar to Gone Girl, I guess. In that, I mean, it's nothing like Gone Girl. It's not right. really pulpy at all. But it, it, it wasn't reviewed as great as Sean and I thought it was. Uh, but and I don't get it. Other than it's different, you know. Yeah. Literally, the main character switches halfway through, and I don't think that's a spoiler. Uh, you won't even see it coming when it does. I mean, it, it's. I, it really is. It's its own experience. It's its own movie. It's like nothing else I've ever seen. You know, Krisha and It Comes at Night 
are what they are. This is nothing like those two movies. This isn't where he's, uh, you know, he's definitely evolved into something bigger. I mean, this is a huge movie, and it bums me out that it didn't get the attention it deserves because I, I think it's one of the best that A24 has ever done. No doubt about it. This movie is incredible. No no director, a uh, few directors, I think, are as good at putting you in the shoes of his characters. You know, where he, whether he's putting you in that uh, bizarre space that is Kreisha's head or if he's in the head of this kid who's about to do something that you can't stop him from doing, that you're desperate to try and stop him from doing. He's amazing. And then there's that scene, uh, another great scene in this movie, Bob, the car scene where yes. we're, we're watching this be direct. We're watching this, this happen. Like how the hell did he even capture the visual that we're seeing in this? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, we're just blown away by just the staging of it alone is fascinating. But then, of course, guess who's also in that scene? Lucas, Lucas Hedges. Hedges. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, and maybe it's just because it's so it is long. But yeah. everything is so different. You know, it's like it's not like Lord of the Rings and no offense to Lord of the Rings fans, but where it's just kind of one. It's a long move of all the same thing. It's like a totally different movie over and over again. Uh, but it's all tied together. I don't know. It's so unique for what it is that I, I, I guess I get why it's you know why it divides audiences. But I love that uniqueness about it. And maybe it's I, I really don't know how to explain it. But I, right. I wish I think, it was more universally loved. I think we're gonna have to do a waves Patreon episode where we invite Josh back after he's seen it, and maybe bring in Amy and and Cove Maker and make them watch it as well, because that way we can get more people talking about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> look for that. I certainly wouldn't mind. <laughs> look for that in April as our April Patreon episode. A- April twenty twenty two. Gotta give everybody time to see it. Uh, have we sold you, Josh? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, all I had to do was watch that trailer, or just know that Trey Edward Schultz was involved. Uh, that trailer is is really incredible, and it's only a uh, a function of me not watching as many films in the past year. Or so, um, is to the reason why I haven't seen it. All right, uh, number five on the list is Hereditary, uh, which uh, Bob, this did actually make Josh's list, even <laughs> at the very bottom. Sorry. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Uh, Hereditary at number five, uh, directed, of course, by the the absolutely insanely brilliant director who's got another movie even higher on this list, of course, uh, Ari Aster. Uh, this is the uh, this is a family story about a, it's a horror movie. It's Tony Collette uh, just being incredible <laughs> and uh alex wolf who's going to be you know he's i think he might be the next uh lucas hedges maybe in the future he's just he's got that he's got that kind of talent to him mm-hmm. uh this movie is absolutely brilliant just so incredibly well staged and tense and breathtaking at times the uh i could name a million different scenes uh, in this movie, but just that, just that brilliant opening scene of pushing in on a on a model of a house that then, uh, without imperceptibly, becomes uh, an, an actual room. Uh, the the scene of the absolute horror uh, that befalls this family when the loss of one of their family members that is so shocking and and terrifying, incredibly staged to the point where you just can't believe it, and you're just you're left in so much awe of that scene That's- that it, it lingers. 
with you for the you can't even bring bring yourself you're so in alex wolf's head you can't even bring yourself out of the movie when that happens it's just breathtaking the choice there and how it's staged and then the the discovery of it and what takes place you need at least three scenes before you recover from that and you're actually back into the movie that's how great (laughs) that one scene is and that's how great hereditary is throughout i mean that scene might be the best scene of all these movies you know and Really, almost any movie that's how talented he is and then you know the controversial ending is Ari Aster saying fuck you to half the audience and I love I mean and he said that I mean I heard an interview where he goes I know I'm gonna lose people but fuck it this is what I want to do and it, he earns it uh, you can call it easy again it's not lazy and not only does he take it he takes it and he goes and he goes so far with it that you either are on board or you're not and uh, he earns it, and I love it. I, I just love everything about it. But the best is that he, the climax is so early on in the movie, you know. But that scene you're talking about, where uh, that is the best part of the movie, and it's so early on. And but and he's able. It's like a band coming out and playing their biggest song first, and I mean, like, and then have, <laughs> being able to hold on to the audience the rest of the movie. It's just really, yeah. really, really cool and really, really awesome. And then I don't know if you heard the news. Ari Aster's new movie stars Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> and A24 is doing it. Uh, oh, my God. When Joaquin wow. Phoenix jumped on board, they did a bidding war, and A24 got last uh, whatever. And they're doing I, I just saw it this morning, so I, I'm, I can't wait. Yeah, I saw that yesterday as well, and I was hoping to bring it to the show, but Sorry. it's more apt to the. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured you guys knew it at some point, but go ahead. Oh, we, we, yeah, actually, when it comes to hereditary, let me just clarify again the position that I have on this. It's not so much that it's a bad ending, it's clearly not a bad movie. I enjoyed many parts of the movie. Um, it's a very tense, moody piece that that bothered me significantly. <laughs> but also at the end, I was just looking for something that that didn't satisfy me. I, I guess what would I have wanted? I don't know. Maybe anything other than what took place. And that's fine. The director smacks me up against the head. Uh, I probably deserved it. You know, it's a fine film, but uh, it's just not quite what I was hoping for by the, the rest of the movie. I guess I was hoping for just psychological thriller and this was all in her head or it was going to have more to do with the idea of these miniature homes and everything. And if it would have stayed just that, I would have been okay with it. But much like The Witch, in a way, there really is something going on at the end. And I guess The Witch already did it. And so it wasn't super fresh to me like it was to to others and I, I get his statement that's cool but i just didn't buy it as much as you guys did yeah it's right. more the imagery for me the, oh yeah that really works I and mean, with the witch it just Oof. they show oh there's a witch and they move and then the movie ends this one is just <laughs> so over the top and it's the the images are just cool a very artistic it, very and that's really what helps me accept it it really, uh, to, for, for me, it was almost uh, like a like a symphony crescendo at right. the end. As a, it's a, it was very musical uh, the way that, that that came to an end, and in very much of a classical music sort of sense. And that's what really resonated with me in in the boldness of that. You have this quiet moment of what's taking place with with Tony Collette and how her character dies. That it becomes silent, and then it just and then it ramps back up into this final 
you know, <laughs> I don't know, Beethoven like crescendo of just horror right. and like awe. <laughs> like, I can't believe you just did that, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Motherfucker. That was definitely my first reaction. <laughs> An appreciative motherfucker. <laughs> right. All right. Number four is Under the Skin from director uh, uh, Jonathan Glazer, uh, starring uh, starring Scarlett Johansson. And uh, by, by far, I think the best performance of her career as this uh, alien figure who leads men to their death. And the the tone he captures here, this very realistic tone that he captured, because he went out and did this. Uh, he went out into the Russian wilderness and had Scarlett Johansson leading real people into the situation uh obviously not to the to their death but i mean <laughs> that's how he that's how they did that's how they staged many of these scenes and the authenticity of that is fucking phenomenal uh, and the the that alien quality that he brings to her not just her her beauty but just the the that completely almost silent quality she barely seems to say a word for much of the movie and uh she's just so alluring and it's and it's really challenging you uh, to stare at her and then deal with the consequences of having spent so much time staring at her. And it's really calling you out as an audience member and uh, in the way that what happens to these, these characters that she lures, it's, it's brilliant. We had seen other A24 movies before this, but this was a second one where we started to notice A24 as its own thing. And we, we went to a theater together in near Chicago and the experience alone moves us up the list you know it gives it a head start over everything else uh the fact that a whole like a party of people walked out of the movie added to the fun of what this movie was the uh the artistic you know how artistic it is and the fact that i got it you know makes it even more fun for me uh and the fact that you know in some ways, I think Scarlett Johansson is the hottest person in the world, and I'm not looking at that in this movie. You know, that's it, it leaves my head, and I'm just watching her perform, and she's naked in it, and it doesn't matter. You know, it's not, I'm not perving out over it. You know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> right. It, it's, it, it's able to separate that part of my brain, and I just, it really was just awesome. Uh, I really, and I, I have this a little, I actually have it higher on my list because of that experience. And because the movie we're going to talk about the number one or not the number one movie, but the first a 24 where we recognize what was going on. This was my first fresh experience with a 24, uh, knowing it was what a 24 was. And, uh, because of that, it definitely deserve it. It's earned its spot on my list really high. Josh. Yeah, Under the Skin is still one of the more terrifying films that I've ever seen, and it's not so much um, the entire film, but some very specific scenes that were so jarring that it kind of uh, jars me now just even thinking about them. Um, I think that there are some films that uh, scare us more than others because of our own personal experience or our personality gets freaked out more by something else. And the idea of, of being trapped underwater and then having my organs sucked out from my skin, um, I don't know. It just bothers me. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's the, it's the unnerving lack of humanity that, that 
um, is shown at certain points during this movie, her, her reactions to being touched or, or her reactions to finally receiving something that, um, humans do. She, she can't just participate in all human activities apparently. And, uh, the madness towards the end there is, the tension is so uh, alien and strange that it stuck with me more than, than other films, not just the, not to mention our experience with it. So right. uh, I, I'd like to point out too, that the, the score for this one by uh, is her first score by a composer named Michael Levi got me in, into the idea of a, of a very simplistic um, score with, with synth elements in, in small sounds uh, Johan Johansson, kind of similar to that, setting a mood. It, it's something that's sticking with me, and I think it might be the next version of, of composition that uh, overruns the theater a little bit instead of uh, classical tropes like, you know, say, John Williams, etc. Right. I think that there's a bit of a, a seed there developing, and I know that's a random thing to say, but this movie is so pointed in that I wanted to mention it. And it's it, bizarre that uh, Jonathan Glazer hasn't worked since this. He hasn't done anything <laughs> since this in 2013. That baffles me. He's brilliant. Yeah, I and the way he there's like literally a scene where you're watching kind of from a distance this road and you see the car drive all the way down it. And I mean, some people would say, "Oh, let's cut a little fat out of that." But I thought that added like mm. I, I loved that. That took its time. It. Uh, added a little bit of tension to it, uh, and then you throw the imagery the where she drags the guys back in this weird little room, alien room, or whatever you want to call it. Just that yeah, the black floor and just yeah, it's just a really cool image. I, I, I don't, I love this movie. Absolutely, I completely, I completely love it. It's just, it's fantastic. Um, next on the list at number three is uh, the death of Dick Long which is a movie that Josh just got to see this week that uh, Bob and I saw last year that is absolutely brilliant and I think it's because it's just so it, it takes such a big chance the central uh, secret of this movie is so outrageous and it's it should be the premise of like a, a Rob Dax Shepard movie. movie or yeah, something. Dax Rob Shepard. Schneider movie. <laughs> Dax Shepard was better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the premise should be. And it they take it seriously and they take it to a serious place, even as it is darkly hilarious throughout. They have this he, the way he combines humor and and uh, and pathos and and genuine drama and then genuine emotion around this thing that is so outrageous. That to me is such an amazing trick as a filmmaker that that alone really just made the movie work for me. On top of the fact that you've got a bunch of really awesome performances by actors I'd never seen before who were just tremendous at bringing this story to life and slowly revealing what it is to the point where you you just you can't even believe what it is that's taking place. It's just so bold and so dangerous and so unique. That's what makes this movie so great. Yeah, you have. It's like it really happened, and if it were to really happen, how would you react? And this is how people would react. And it's, you know, I'm gonna say what Josh texted me because I'm sure he'll. I already ruined one thing he wanted to bring to the show. I'll let him say it. But what he said was so. I mean, I I don't agree with it completely, but the i the other the movie he compared it to, uh, it, it was. I kind of agree with that. Uh, but go ahead, Josh. I want you just. 
you talk about it. The fact that I said something at all that held uh, your gaze is is already impressive. That's all I need to know. But um, okay, when I got done watching this movie last night, and and uh, my wife had been asleep for about twenty five minutes at that point, so she missed you know pretty much everything good. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking uh, it's not a mood piece. It's not necessarily a drama. It's not necessarily a comedy. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm transfixed by it. Um, this is like, but when I watched the trailer, I was thinking, oh, it's it's Quad Cities Fargo. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> and that's what I texted Bob. <laughs> because you have uh, some bumbling people doing bumbling things, and they don't quite have the capacity or desire to do the right thing sometimes. And it, it's not like they're bad people per se they're just caught up in something that they can't quite lie their way out of or keep secret anymore and uh but then the movie decides to to ramp it up as opposed to just having that very simple truth there are scenes towards the end with a few people in a room and each one of them has a different thing going through their heads at that time I specifically wanted to point to the the end, right before the end, where you've got a police officer played by Sarah Baker brilliantly, I might yes. add. You've got the main character, the guy who's been trying to cover everything up and tells the most ridiculous lies. <laughs> I mean, that scene where he's trying to tell his wife that Dick Long is dead, and he's like, uh, he got shot. Um, uh, he fell on a saw. Uh, <laughs> he's just shooting things out and she's like no 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 but um the look on that actress's face um her name is virginia newcomb that plays uh, zeke's wife that to me is is an award worthy performance she gets the most devastating news of her life yeah. but then somehow has to try and protect her family herself her kid all of these things at once, she goes through the worst thing in her life within like 20 minutes of the film's ending. And we can see her entire journey. Um, she's sustained a trauma. And the thing is, all of the characters in that room have sustained a trauma. Some of them know it. Some of them don't know it quite yet. <laughs> um, that the power of knowing as an audience member, what the truth is, amongst all of those characters and to have the characters not necessarily know all of the truths is one of the most tense, brilliant things that I've seen in a long time. Uh, so it goes from something that I called Quad Cities Fargo because the lead two characters remind me very much of a lot of people that I've met in this area. Um, it, it goes to something better. It's, it's really brilliant filmmaking. Um, and the characters didn't bother me as much as I thought they would. So I brought something to the film that the film completely erased. But I'm totally cool with the Fargo comparison. Uh, you know, it, it is that type of movie. It is, it, it's, you know, part, you, you want to laugh out loud and it's because of the way they're performing it. And it's not, I don't know. It, it, it's weird that it's so high on our list, but it, it, it does kind of earn it. I mean, Swiss Army Man is really good too, uh, but it, it's on a different. Like in that one, you kind of have to. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's good. Just it's 
not as good as this, uh, uh, for lack of a better phrase. I can't think of the way to describe it because the same right. director. But yeah. this one just, I don't know if I can relate to it more <laughs> or what, but it, I don't know. It, it is just so watchable and so it's, it's almost a must see, you know, to just to see how people react. My wife won't watch it because she knows it's about horse fucking. And <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it really puts bronies to shame. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you can love My Little Ponies all you want, Uh, but hey, these guys really love My Little Ponies. But that scene you were talking about, Josh, really does make the movie. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Michael Abbott Jr. and and Virginia Newcomb. Then there's, but then there's also you know this the Sarah Baker Roy Wood Jr. scene where where he's they're both trying not to say what it is that's taking place. Yeah, <laughs> I just love in, that. In both in professional positions, right? They're not just like close friends or anything. So they're trying to maintain the decorum of a police yeah. officer slash examiner, <laughs> and the reality of it is just so bonkers. Like <laughs> they're having a connection that really matters here. They have to tell each other what they're going to do officially, but then there's something so dark and sinister in there and strange that they just can't, they don't know how to react with each other. Oh, it's imagine that happening to somebody or yourself and hearing that for the first time. And that's again, this what? is uh, the, the movie is, is a thought experiment and, it, and, it, and a really great one. What would you do if this really happened? Well, here we are. This is what would happen if this really happened. And let's not, you know, the uh, courage of bands like Nickelback, Creed, and Disturbed to let <laughs> them use their music in this movie. God damn it. Yes. Because that matters. I mean, that matters. I, I, I hate to uh-huh. say that. And yeah. Uh, and that's cool of them because they're, they're kind of being poked fun at. They're not kind of there. I mean, how do you not think about horse like when you hear this is how you remind me from here on out? Uh, but and, I mean, they use big hits too, like with arms wide yeah. open. And it, to me, that's really cool of those bands to go along with this because they didn't have to. And uh, it does add a level to this movie. All right, uh, number two is a movie that uh, defined this podcast very early on, Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Denise Villeneuve, about uh, two men who share the same face. One is an actor, one is a teacher, and uh, one discovers the other exists, and then they start experimenting and being each other, and uh, where that goes from there is ever-increasing craziness to an ending that you you just can't believe is so perfect and so completely nothing that you would have ever thought of. Uh, it's bold, experimental, strange, and just uh, engrossing. Uh, it just holds you in place. It just grabs you and holds you in place with the mastery of a director who's at, at the absolute uh, height of his control. He's just amazing. Similar to First Reform, it's one of those movies where as soon as you see it, you want to watch it again. Unfortunately, I saw it in the theater, so I had to wait a little while. Uh, but I... And I watched it a bunch, a bunch of times when I could. And then we did that episode where we dissected it. Uh, I mean, it, in a way, it was like when you're a kid and you beat Zelda or Metroid or something like that. You know, we it's like <laughs> we we beat the game. And now, I mean, I, it, because of that, it, that's why it was only like at number five on my list instead of number <laughs> two or number one. But it was such a fun experience. Uh, I, I wish I would have been in Sean's position versus where I was at because Sean got to see it just out of the blue like he saw it so blind 
that it adds there's got to be so much more to his experience than it would be for ours but i mean it was still an amazing experience but i can't imagine going into this as blind as sean did uh and experiencing that way and it's i mean i i just i wish i could have had that experience i mean still it was fantastic uh knowing it was going to be good or be something else but i don't know it, it i don't know enemy is just it'll always have a special place in my heart <laughs> In knowing uh, Villeneuve from that point going forward, mm-hmm. uh, this is an indie movie that looks kind of like um, one of the most gorgeous things that you could possibly see on on film. He's got something in the way that he films a film that makes it look better than everyone else. And uh, I don't quite know what that is, but you factor in the beautifulness of the movie the wonderfulness of two different performances by jake gyllenhaal i mean completely different he could have been nominated for either performance to be honest and I'm, <laughs> it's too bad that he wasn't just to right. get that kind of recognition out there but then take the the complete cl- excuse me the complete cluster of the film itself and then factor in that ending which it broke my mind I, that's the best way that i can say it is i don't know why that happened i don't know where it came from um at least at the moment i didn't and then we talked about it i thought about it even more and then i got it but it still didn't lessen the impact of my experience of the movie i keep pulling it off the shelf and wanting uh, my wife to see it because she hasn't yet and it just has never made the cut for her so i think i'm just gonna put it on one night and see what happens but uh it's been a long time since i've seen it but my memory is so strong that it became my number one i'll probably never see it again uh not that i don't want to i just i don't need to because like you said (laughs) my memory is so strong you know it's uh it, it just it's it can't get better. It can't get worse. It's just it's it's stuck in my mind the way it is, and because we we dissected that so hard. I've never dissected a movie that hard in my life, right? Uh, and and it it was it was satisfying. It was fun. I mean, and Do we then, still have that episode somewhere. Yeah, maybe when this goes live, I'll find it and release it. Uh, yeah, the imagery, and then there's the. I love. He's probably the best work. I mean, him, Fincher, and Ari Aster are like my three favorites right now. And part of me wants as much. I mean, Arrival, fucking amazing. Blade right. Runner is amazing. Part yeah. of me wants to just be like throw this A twenty four banner and tie him down to it, and not <laughs> let him go out and you know do Blade Runner and doing as, as great as they're going to be or, or are. I don't want him to have to fail. <laughs> You know, in right. terms of financial, I want him to. You know, I want him to keep working under these restrictions, and that's not fair to me. Uh, he deserves. He's great. His visuals are as good, if not better, than everybody else. I mean, Blade Runner is f- amazing, and nobody saw it. You know, and, <laughs> and now they're going to screw Dune up, and if unless they change how they're going to do that, uh, I, I just I want him to be successful so bad because he's as good as it gets all right you can't be surprised what number one is can you <laughs> it's midsummer it's ari aster it's <laughs> there you go uh midsummer is uh just a just a brilliant horror movie 
uh, from Ari Aster, who just thinks so much out of the box. He's just so much uh, ahead of everyone. He, I don't, I can't even begin to describe how brilliant he is. And I haven't even watched that short film. That's now his short film that people talk about. That basically, people have said, "Do not watch this. It's too scary." <laughs> that's literally the description that people have given me about because it's now on YouTube. What's it uh, called? I don't have the I don't have the title of it in my head. Motherfucker. But, <laughs> I'll bring it up here in a moment, but uh, Midsummer, it, it, it was just, it's such an experience, uh, experience. I watched it three, maybe four times in the theater. And each time I walked out just kind of in this haze, in this, just trying to recover from the experience of it uh, and, and thinking about it and living within it and being both entertained and horrified by it. And uh, I just, I love it so much to the point I almost can't even begin to describe how much I love it. Like my, I go back and I read my review of it and it feels almost mundane compared to the experience that I had watching it. That's just how uh, incredible it is. I'm on Wikipedia trying to find out what the short <laughs> film is. The strange thing about the Johnsons. And you know what movie turned him on to filmmaking? What? Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy? <laughs> what? <laughs> he recalled going to see... Oh, no, I'm sorry. The first movie he saw was Dick Tracy when he was four years old. The film features seen when a character fired a Tommy gun while a wall of fire was behind him. Aster jumped from his seat and ran six New York City blocks down, which his mother had to chase him in his early childhood. Uh, so that didn't make him want to be a filmmaker. That was the first movie we saw. What was the name of the movie again? Sorry, I'm trying to write it down. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, it's called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Can't wait to watch that in a few <laughs> hours. I've not watched it yet, just based on what I've been described. But uh, th- this movie just gets better. I mean, I've even seen the director's cut, and the director's cut. As much as I can see where why these things were taken out, they're still incredible. They're still each scene is filmed brilliantly, and the way he chooses to shock you, the choices that he makes in shocking you are so good. <laughs> it's really uh, I'm sounding like I'm not even a great film critic talking about it because I'm just every time I think of something, something else rushes into my head to take its place. And I just want to talk about everything to the point where I talk about every scene and why it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've talked about this movie more than any other movie, I think, ever. And I mean, <laughs> the simple word for me is it's intoxicating. Uh, literally, yeah. it, it was like getting drunk. Uh, that's how we described it when we saw it originally and uh that still holds true it ruined movies for me for a long time until tarantino (laughs) kind of saved them uh i i want every movie to be this and if it's not it's hard for me to like it anymore (laughs) and and quite frankly it's so good that you know you pulled it up against the best movies that i've ever seen and i I can't really say which one's better it's just it's in that list too It, it yeah it's, it's it's right next to Lebowski for me. Like, and Lebowski always has a little special place aside from all of their movies. But this is like, in terms of being actual movies for filmmaking, this is the best one ever for me. Yeah, I it's just amazing. All right, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do love this movie as well, and I definitely am late to the party, so I feel very um, unvalidated in my opinion. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it it reminds me in, in trying to summarize it for somebody that hasn't seen it, I would say, think of if you were Hansel and Gretel 
or whatever, you know, is, is one person going to the witch's house and then, you know, she's giving you candy and everything like that. But she also wants to bake you and eat you. So you get lured into this false sense of security, even though you know that the film is a horror movie. Even though you've seen this guy's film Hereditary, you kind of get lured in and everyone is nice. And then one thing happens to, to uh, make you wonder, oh, God, what's going on? And then another and then another and then another. And it just spirals into madness. Mm. And I really love that idea of the filmmaker. Ari Aster played with me. Um, he, he made me think that maybe something else was happening and then something else completely different happened. I knew it was going to be creepy. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And that kind of tension can probably, for me, it'll only happen once that I yeah. saw all of these things and got so surprised. But in thinking of the film as a whole, I know I missed some things that could make it even better. So that's why I, I, bo- I bought it. I, I want to watch it again uh, over time to see what it is that I miss and to have that feeling of um, impending doom that this movie has. And yeah. My God, there's, there's doom, all right, um, but not in the way that many other horror or suspense films do. Uh, I'm not part of the crowd that really earns the love of this movie that's for sure but i am part of the crowd that was enraptured by it i'm going to talk about the ending here so if you haven't seen it yet turn off now but i walked out after this movie ended and just the entire walk from the from the movie theater out to my car in my head i just couldn't stop saying they sewed him into a bear and lit him on fire over and over in my head they sewed him into a bear and lit him on fire and i just i couldn't make those words make sense to me and that's why i loved it so much cuz it's so incomplete just completely unpredictable and bizarre and i just I, they sewed him into a bear and they lit him on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that's the thing, too, is he uses comedy in such a weird way in this movie. I mean, in some ways, I think he thinks he made a comedy. Uh, I mean, I've heard him say that. Uh, so, and, But there are scenes that are so funny, but almost in an uncomfortable way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the like the, the orgy, yeah. Or not even the orgy, whatever they want to call that. <laughs> that <laughs> you know, even like the the first death is almost you want to laugh uncomfortably because you don't know what else to do. You know, yeah. you don't know how to react. And I, like Josh said, Ari Aster is fucking with you, and that's. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how he keeps this up. I don't know how he did it two times in a row. I don't know how he elevated from hereditary, which is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> and it, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it is so, it's so weird. And then you throw in the, I mean, Florence Pugh had the year of a lifetime that year. He was awesome in okay. three different movies. <laughs> yeah. Nominated for one that wasn't this, which was, she was great in it. Don't get me wrong. Right. Little women and, and uh, wrestling with my family. Yeah, she was. And also three totally different performances, but I, man, there's again, now you're what you said, Sean is I, I want to talk about so much. I can't talk about anything. <laughs> it's, taking the over. staging of that first of that scene where they reveal what happened to her family the the way he the, he follows the camera so beautifully 
through that room. It's so mundane, but you've got that. I've got that bit of score that's kind of telling you how you know what you're getting yourself into here. All you see are a couple people sleeping, but you're hearing something, and you know something is wrong, and you're hearing the phone ring and over and over again. And why is it those people aren't moving? And then you go up to reveal where her sister is up the stairs, and it's just. Your, your jaw just drops to such a degree that you don't know. And then that brilliant slam cut to her, just the, the, the grief that she's feeling, just that, that, those, that uh, bawling that she's doing at her boyfriend. And, and then you've got Jack Raider playing that scene so perfectly. Like he, he knows he has to be here, but at the same time, he was breaking up with her yesterday. And now he's, he's kind of, I can't, it's almost Seinfeldian right. <laughs> in the congressness of it. Cause he's like, okay, well I can't, I can't break up with her now. Literally the worst thing possible ever just happened to this human being. And now I'm the only person she has. That is so goddamn brilliant. It's like a horror film Seinfeld in moment. And like normally playing like the heels fun for people, but this type of bad guy isn't a fun guy to play. So it, the courage of him to do the role the way he did it really is impressive. It, you know, yeah. there's nothing redeeming about this guy. And, you know, you can't even, you know, you hear actors about playing the bad guy and how much fun it is. This is a different type of bad guy. And uh, that performance, you know, it really is fantastic. And then his use of, like we talked about, Denis Villeneuve's, the way, the way he makes, you know, the way his images and the way that this setting is and the look is so amazing. What Ari Aster does, which is so different, is he's hiding images in images. And, yeah. And he did that with Hereditary, and I, I, he does it here. And it, it, I just, it's fascinating. I didn't pick up on one of them. I had to read an Esquire article to find out about one of the visuals that he does in the movie. And then I had to go back and watch the movie again, just so I could see that and be blown away by it again, which is such uh, so phenomenal. Uh, there, <laughs> it's so good. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's something hiding in the trees, Josh. That I don't know if you saw it uh, when she's after she's named the May queen where they're carrying around and she's standing on that, on that thing as they're carrying her around. You see something in the trees and when you notice it's there, even after you've been told it's there it's still shocking well shit i hadn't recognized it at the time so i guess i need to watch it again <laughs> yeah it, it's a movie you could probably watch every other day and still get something new out of it <laughs> yeah i love it i love it yeah all right well that is our uh, a24 bonus episode the top 24 of a24 bob's gonna post this on our patreon along with all three of our top 24 lists and the uh, of the final group uh 24 list so uh that'll be up uh on the 24th right yes it will be up on the <laughs> 24th of february and then uh, it'll go out to our regular listeners later on uh once we do our next one <laughs> I think that's what we agreed on, right, Sean? Try to get them yeah, to yeah. do it monthly so that way we force ourselves to actually record them. <laughs> uh, thank you, Josh, for joining us. This is fun. Uh, can't wait to do the next A24 podcast with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, guys, if it weren't for the podcast, there is no way that I would have seen all of these movies. And I, I didn't even see all of them, period. Um, so I'll. I really, I've, I've elevated my viewership through these a 24 films. Like I, I expect more um, out of film in general because this, this production company manages to secure, recognize, and then secure 
talent more than anyone else has done in Hollywood for a pretty darn long time. And some of them graduate and do other things, but gosh, we've got repeat directors and writers and actors all throughout this list here. Clearly there's a wonderful relationship going on and right people in the right spots. So it's good stuff. And the movies we left off, I mean, you have another Oscar winner in room. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have on here, which is fantastic. I mean, that's how great. Like I said, throw them on the ground and pick them up randomly. You're gonna have a a great list no matter what. And I mean, you guys haven't seen Minari yet, and nope. uh, that movie's incredible. Uh, I can't wait for people to get a chance to see that. And none of us have had the chance to see Saint Maud yet, which is nope. really it's been killing me every day that that hasn't been out there. And uh, Josh, uh, there's another one for you to see, First Cow, which is incredible. Uh, that <laughs> describe First Cow. Uh... <laughs> Wait, did you say first cow? cow? First cow. First cow directed by Kelly Riker. It's incredible. Oh, remember okay. that. I do like bovine things. Remember that <laughs> South Park episode where they go to Sundance or Sundance comes to South Park and Cartman doesn't want to go to the movies because it's all about gay cowboys eating pudding. <laughs> the way if I were to tell you what first cow is about, you would kind of feel like that. You can't describe the movie without, but when you watch it, it's just like, wow, that's really, it's not about gay cowboys eating pudding, but it's. Nor is, nor is it Al Hazard Balthazar. Don't bring up the. <laughs> <don't> bring up <laughs> the French donkey movie. It's not that. No, it, it, it really is fantastic. And I think I had it at 25, maybe. I don't, well, I only sent Sean the top 24. Uh, I had it like right there at the end. So uh, really, really good. And Tusk. I love Tusk, but not Tusk. Tusk. I'm, I'm in forgot about Tusk, yeah. But these are so good. I, you can't. I don't know where I would have put it on here. So. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there are 33 movies that, in the end that uh, uh, at least one of us put on their list, including The Killing of Sacred Deer and Locke. Uh, they're both movies that uh, just missed out on the top 24. Um, you know, experimental uh, brilliant films. I had one called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I think I'm one of the only people who have seen and and loved that film. Um, yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about mid-90s, or we did a little bit. Uh, Josh, I agree with you on, on Slice, which is an un, un, underrated uh, weirdo comedy yep. uh, that, uh, that uh, definitely deserves a bigger audience. So, yeah. And uh, Josh had The Spectacular Now on his list. Yep. <sighs> Which I might be, I was definitely the only one of us to have seen and enjoyed uh, a lot, but that's kind of like uh, one of the best teen uh, dramas over the past decade or so in a sea of not so good ones. And some of their early ones, they weren't on anywhere at list, but Spring Breakers, The Bling Ring. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Sean didn't like it, but Climax is a hell of an experience. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have some great directors going into a twenty four too, which is also neat. That you know they didn't start here like you know Ari Aster and some of these guys did, but uh, you're, they're actually coming like Kevin Smith and doing a twenty four movies. That's pretty cool too. Uh, yeah, just if if it's got a twenty four on it, you can just imagine it's going to be at least at the very least it's going to be uh, strange or entertaining uh, or just resonant in some way. Uh, I'm pulling up the list of twenty eight twenty four movies that just because I want to, I, I just want to have it in front of me. There's also Ginger and Rosa, which another movie I've seen, not many people have seen. Uh, Obvious Child is a is a really great movie. Um, the documentary Amy, uh, we I've Amy, never seen yeah, it, but I know Amy people Winehouse. talk about that one a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, Slow West is a pretty good movie as well. Uh, that's uh, not on my list or anybody's list, but again, uh, quite a good one. The Lobster, at the very least, oh, yeah. The Lobster is a movie that's going to make you talk. It's, you're going to think about it. You're going to spend time with it at the very least. So that's uh, that's certainly something. They did Boy State, didn't they? Uh, Boy State, yes. Boy State, the documentary. Mm-hmm. I still want to see how to talk to girls at parties. I have not seen that one. I want to. Uh, Gloria Bell. Very good performance by uh, Julianne Moore in that film. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I got a dog in there because my dog's <laughs> being an idiot. isn't listening to me. Uh, uh, the, the, green, the Green Knight has not been released yet. It was supposed to be released last year and has not been released yet. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, that one as well. And then they've got a whole slate of stuff still to come in the next two years. So looking yeah. forward to all of green- it. That Green Knight movie is a, a David Lowry film, and although he did another A24 movie called A Ghost Story that we were bored to tears <laughs> with, um, he is the director of Pete's Dragon, which I, of course, really loved on the show. And let's not forget Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix are making a four-hour nightmare comedy, which <laughs> I'm all for. I, I don't give a shit. Make it 10 hours. It doesn't matter. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Oh, and a quick shout out to Under the Silver Lake, another bold, unique, weird movie that is also an A24 film. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. And again, thanks for being Patreon supporters. We'll talk to you later. All right. Uh, Josh, you want, or Bob, you want to send another link we'll do for the next show? Yep. All right. Bye, Josh. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you very, very much for having me and have a good rest of your day. You too. Right. All right. Bye. All right. I'm going to go get a drink and use the restroom. All right. Me too. Bye.